Hello, and welcome to the Digital Mums podcast. Subscribe and tune in for topics important to us, to you and your career. We cover everything from the latest digital and social trends to the future of work, those important diversity and equality issues, and we also have a regular segment helping you with common challenges around working and raising a family. This week's show is exploring diversity and equality issues. The Digital Mums co-founders Nikki and Catherine will be exploring the diversity issue around class. Hello, this is Catherine from Digital Mums. And this is Nikki from Digital Mums. We're going to be talking quite a lot about our personal stories today. We are. Because we're very heavily involved in the conversations around diversity. For very obvious reasons, we're very heavily involved in particularly female diversity issues. And we feel very passionately that there is a missing voice in the debate in a lot of areas. And that is very particularly the voice of the working class, the working poor, which is actually sort of our backgrounds. That's true. We've noticed this missing voice for quite a while, haven't we? <laughs> it's been some time, really, and it's such an important debate generally, diversity. Something that we're super passionate about, and we just felt like we wanted to have a conversation about class and bring that to the fore, and we're really hoping that other people might send in their thoughts after they've listened to this podcast, get involved. It would be really interesting, actually, to hear other people's thoughts because it does feel like there's not that many people talking about it. We definitely think so, unless we're just in the wrong rooms. But we're quite heavily on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media, but we're also we network and we see a lot of events and panel events and a lot of people talking about diversity. Very important. And what I would like to just say at this point is that we are going to be talking about class But that does not mean that we don't think those diversity conversations about ethnic minorities and women are not important. I think that all the conversations are important. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, But I do think sometimes people can say, if you're talking about one thing, then you're taking away from another area, which I just want to make very clear. That is not what this is about. No, no. We just really feel passionately that more conversations need to happen around the lack of diversity particularly with regards to class and working class. You'll find out a bit more about our backgrounds actually throughout this podcast because we'll be talking quite a lot about our personal perspective. We're going to talk firstly about issues to do with education and then we'll move on to talk about the workplace. Before prepping for this podcast, I did some research and found some very interesting stuff, some of which I knew, some of which I actually was quite surprised by. One of the things that caught my eye in February 2019 was a new study that came out that showed that half of universities in England have fewer than 5% poor white students. Wow. Which, if you think about how big a percentage they make up of the population, that felt quite staggering. And what I thought was really interesting is that young white poor people are less likely to go to university than black or Asian teenagers now. That's... um, extremely worrying statistic I think uh, particularly because university was quite a game changer for me but you you didn't go to university actually after school did you? No I didn't I left school without any qualifications. You're a bit of a Richard Branson. (laughs) Well I'm not sure about that but 
I loved school and, and I actually, you know, I, I enjoyed the lessons, but I, it just for me, it was just, I was just having too much fun. And just for me, I, I didn't turn up to any of my exams. I left school without any qualifications and I didn't go, and I, so I certainly didn't go to university. I didn't do A-levels. I think my whole year, I don't think anybody went to university. I don't think maybe one or two people might have gone on to do A-levels, but it just wasn't expected. When I left school, it was 1988. So I, I, I grew up in Essex and a lot of the boys went off and worked um, in the city, in banking, and then a lot of the girls went on to become secretaries. Boys went up the city, went into banking and trading. Girls became like secretaries. It was, it, you know, it was just that. Was it something that was on the table going to university? So, in oh, terms no. of the things, the conversations that you were having at no, home, there was never ever a conversation about university. It was not even like it was never assumed. And, and even like the kids in my class. Like, no, no one was talking about university. It was never, you know, it wasn't like, what degree are you going to do? And they didn't talk about it, really, in your school? No, but no one was talking about it at home. So at home, it's just me, my mum, my brother. My dad died when I was four. Um, so single-parent family, low-income, dinner-ticket kid. I mean, that's another story. But no one was talking about when you go to university, either at home or in the classroom. And did you have career advice? Like, did they ever talk to you about it? <laughs> no. Because we had career, really bad career advisors. There was, I remember everyone did work experience, sort of like in the local shops, in church. I think I went, like, maybe did, like, work in a shoe shop or something. But nothing like the work experience that I see kids today have. I mean, when I was working at MSC Saatchi, someone came in to do some work experience and she had a CV. I mean, she was 16, she'd worked at Condé Nast, Vogue. I mean, honestly, her CV... You'd worked in spa. I'd worked in... Farms. Paper round? Yeah, I did a paper round. Paper round. <laughs> Oh, I got fired from that. That's another story. <laughs> but the paper round, um, I Everyone did... out there is like, no, tell us that story. <laughs> <laughs> Not one for today, people. No, I did paper round. I worked in a shoe shop at Oxford Street. But yeah. I did go to university in the end, though. You know, yeah, I, but that but came later. much later. Yeah. yeah, it was never. It was just something that wasn't on the cards when no. I was like. 16, 17. Because my experience at school was exactly... So no one at my school went to university. It wasn't talked about very much at school. I very explicitly remember teachers saying to people you're never going to amount to anything I went to university predominantly I think because I was just really academically gifted in in that my brain just happened to fit very well in the way that we like to teach people I think if I'd been like dyslexic I would have just been totally screwed but I was just quite fortunate and it was always talked about in my house oh was it for me not for my sister, but it was my dad always said, you know, when you go to university, when oh, you go to so university. Oh, so was that when you go to So in the end, it was sort of ingrained in you, you're like, well, I'm going. Yes. It's almost like if I don't want to go, you know, there was not even a choice. There wasn't, no, it, it wasn't like a conversation. It was said in that way, when you go to university. Oh, wow. So it just became something that I was just, that's what I was just going to do. Yeah. So my background's a bit like yours, apart from the fact that my dad did not die when I was four. I grew up in a Welsh mining valley in the 80s, which is one of the poorest places to grow up. And very few people had any money. So it, it was, yes, I was poor, but I don't remember really thinking that I was much poorer than loads of other people. I was very aware that I was poor. And because I, I had friends, like when we used to go to the youth club, do you remember youth clubs? <laughs> yes, I do. Well, sometimes my mum would drive us there and like someone else's dad would pick us up. Well, one of the girls' dad used to pick us up in a Rolls Royce. Oh, and they they really did have swimming pools and like you know bars in their houses and stuff. And for me, I was just like, "What is this?" How did I end up in a council flat? <laughs> How 
how is this my life? How is this my life? I, I feel like there's been a mistake. Excuse me, I'd like to speak to the manager. Yeah, exactly. There's been a little bit of a mistake that yeah. you find. It was really hard, actually, because I'd go back into my mum and say, oh, can I go skiing, or can I go on this trip, or can I have some money to, you know, she's just like, what do you think I'm going to get money from? I definitely remember a lot of my cousins always had more stuff and they had the latest Spectrum in those days. That's how <laughs> old it was. Spectrum. ZX or whatever it was called, yeah. and Ataris. Yeah. So that used to really annoy me. But there wasn't quite as big as Divide. Yeah. But I t- obviously, when I went to university, that was like a whole different story. Yeah. So I also remember at school, I was in the, they streamed us all. So I was like in the top set and all the teachers were shit to be honest with you and I used to like point out that they got some wrong I'd be like I don't think that's actually right and they'd be oh like oh my god they must have hated you oh, I mean they part hated me part like sort of loved me it was like yeah. weird and I remember sort of quite a lot of my um, maybe your delivery was quite smooth though it was not smooth <laughs> was it all? No, it was definitely not smooth. <laughs> a smart ass that was such a smart ass oh my ass, god yeah. I'd have hated you they were just like oh but all the teachers were rubbish because people didn't want to live in a mining valley, you see. You couldn't really attract good teachers. Yeah. So I went to university and that's when it was just a bit of an eye-opener for me because I went to university and remember thinking, quite a lot of these people are not very clever. <laughs> because at my school, you had to be like super clever right. to be going to university. Yeah. And to go to university because no one in the mining valley like went to university. How did you afford to go? Because I think for me, probably the reason why, I don't know, did they do quads and stuff back then? Yeah. Oh, they did. I mean, it wasn't very much. And I had like literally no money and I had to kind of work and had like really crap jobs and it, stuff like it, that. I won't say what I did for money because it was illegal. But <laughs> Because I wonder <laughs> as well if perhaps the reason why it wasn't talked about as an option was because, you know, who's paying for it? Well, no, because I don't think it was that. Because I know that um, if you didn't have any money, you would get... Obviously, it was free to go. And then you would also get um, a, a full grant, which would at least kind of cover your... Generally would cover your rent. Yep. I actually really wanted to go to a London university, but I could not afford to go to a London university. Oh. So that was quite a big factor in my decision-making. So I went to Birmingham. I wanted to go to... I always wanted to live in London. And a bit like you saw, were like, how have I not got any money? I was a little bit like, I think it's been some mistake. I feel like I should have been born in London. <laughs> <laughs> But so I went to um, I went to Birmingham instead. So those like I literally looked at like the next biggest city, and that was it. Yeah, but I just very explicitly remember thinking, there's loads of people here that are not as clever as the people that I went to school with. Like, why are they all at university? (laughs) And obviously, then I very quickly realised it's because they were all quite rich. Ah, okay. So I didn't really meet any other working class people when I was at university. Very, very few actually. You like to think that it's all transformed now, but it's actually not. Oh, turns out it's actually just as bad. And it's what you mean, nothing's really changed? Nothing has changed. In terms of the split of working class yeah, so If anything, social mobility is, is potentially worse again because I, don't, I probably wouldn't have gone to university if I had to pay all that money. I would have been yeah. like, no, I don't think that's a very good idea. I don't think I would have wanted to have got into that kind of debt. Mm. And then I was reading some stuff about a really interesting woman called Diane Ray, who's a Cambridge Uni professor of education. And she's just, she wrote a book in 2017 called Miseducation inequality education and the working classes and she just looked at the school systems and basically said that we're just still educating different social classes for different functions so again coming back to the expectation of what people are going to do and what they're going to achieve you know people I remember them saying to people that I went to school with that you're probably going to work in a factory 
you know, just that sort of stuff, really. Mm. And that is basically still happening. I thought, okay, well, I'm actually going to look at whether there are benefits to being working class in education. Because when I was at university, I just found it quite easy, to be honest with you. And I saw, particularly on some of the more difficult genetics, because I did a genetics degree, everyone, some of the more difficult genetics uh, modules that we used to do, that a lot of the posh people, they really struggled. And I thought that was quite interesting. And then I just went and did some research last week about it. And it turns out that there is research out there that suggests young people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds outperform those from higher socioeconomic backgrounds in when they actually are in degree. So they're not, not very many of them go to university, but when they do, they tend to do really well. So why is that then? I mean, what is it like different brains? <laughs> My personal experience, purely nothing to do with the research, but what I definitely saw... And what I felt was true was I'd ha- I had to work for everything at school. So, you know, there was teachers were terrible. I almost had to teach myself things. Mm. So I was just very self-reliant. When I spoke to them, it, I found out that a lot of them had gone to very good schools. Most of them had gone to private school. They'd been very handheld. No, not grammar schools or private school. Oh, really? Well, wow. <laughs> Private and public school, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, yeah, there was just a lot of posh people. First time I'd actually met anyone that went to like private or public school it was quite a quite an eye-opener actually um turns out that some of them were actually quite nice <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah that was the difference they'd been quite handheld a lot of, some of them had tutors things like that so that was my experience but when I looked at the research that is one of them so the first one was motivation so a lot of the time working class students will actually are just more motivated uh, the second biggest one was self-reliance which is what I talked about so working class students have had to overcome the odds to get to university in the first place because they kind of grew up in environments that weren't very geared towards it and they're not spoon-fed and they don't really get a lot of that strategic support from families etc and then the middle class children just struggle because they you know they've got that independent study they suddenly they need to do and then there was also resilience so apparently working class students are just used to hard knocks basically teachers telling them that they're rubbish yeah. <laughs> and they can adjust to failures etc whereas middle class students feel entitled and, and they find it quite difficult when they don't do well they really struggle if they receive fail marks things like that basically which oh, i just thought was really interesting. Oh, do you know what that is really interesting and as i said i definitely saw that um i was very self-reliant and a lot of them were not self-reliant mm. and really struggled in that quite free environment so that's kind of i suppose diversity in the education system and at university and then obviously once people kind of get older they move more into the workplace so obviously you sort of went straight into the workplace what is particularly telling which is why we're having this conversation is if you do a basic five minute google you can find out accurate stats around how many FTSE 100 and FTSE 250 directors are female how many are ethnic minority etc i spent like an hour you know, I even went from the first page of Google to the second page of Google to the third page oh, of Google. Wow. I tried, like, I don't know how many different yeah. keyword searches. And I could not find any data on their backgrounds. So how many of them were from working class, middle class backgrounds, which is why I think it's a hidden, it's a hidden issue. Do you think, though, how people identify with what class they are is a bit blurry now? There's definitely some blurriness, but I think if you were poor and you grew up on free school meals, like, you don't think you had a middle-class upbringing. No. But, but maybe, you like, once you, but you're living perhaps a middle-class life now, and actually... No, but it's, it's explicitly more about the background, yeah, though. So okay. how you, like, the sort of family background that you grew up yeah. in, rather than one that you kind of identify with now, I think. And whilst, I think, on the edges, some of them are perhaps blur a little, 
I think that there's still quite a solid understanding of like you know working class and middle class but particularly I think if you were like I say if you if you were poor and you grew up in free school meals like you're not like I'm, I'm oh yeah I was middle class yeah and I'm not saying there are maybe challenges capturing data. I just think it's really interesting that I could not find anything in the UK about this at all. So why do you think that is? To be honest, I'm not really sure because I did find some interesting data that had been captured in the US. It's from a couple of years ago now. But they did survey CEOs of larger companies. And they have an agreed upon, I suppose, class system that often people will use in America. And interestingly... The study that they looked at showed that only 3% of CEOs were from what they would consider to be lower class backgrounds. What they considered to be lower class backgrounds are clerical workers, blue what they call blue collar workers yeah. in America, and the working poor or the unemployed, basically. But those groups make up almost 50% of the, what's the 45% of the population. So as you can see, that is they are massively underrepresented. Wow. Yeah, Whereas if you look at middle classes were overrepresented uh, by quite a significant amount. And then 3% of CEOs were from what considered the rich and the powerful backgrounds. And they only comprise about 0.5% of the population. So basically, everyone is overrepresented and all the poor people are underrepresented. <laughs> That's so interesting, isn't it? But that doesn't surprise me because in your sort of working life in the last sort of, I suppose, maybe five, 10 years, how many people do you meet where you've had conversations where it turns out that they come from quite working class backgrounds or free school meals? I would say now very, very rarely. Very rarely. And I think that in and of itself is quite interesting. People make assumptions as well. So I was having a conversation with someone once and they said, oh, you know, look, we come from a very privileged background, so we're all very lucky. And Actually, someone uh, said that yeah, to you. Yeah, someone said that to me because I guess I like, sound reasonably posh. You have actually got quite a posh voice. And uh, I said, I actually got from benefits. So like both my like, parents generally were unemployed for quite a long period of time. And they were like, oh. <laughs> 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 but they were genuinely like quite surprised which was quite interesting so yeah I couldn't find any comparative research at that level however they did do quite a big study in the arts industry and found that only 12% of tv film and radio industry peeps are working class what I think is really interesting is that the senior people were quite shocked and that's really about that which I think is fascinating that does not surprise me at all most people going into the tv industry they're working for free when they first start, aren't they? Yeah, and I thought that that was just recognised widely across the you industry. You go in as a runner, but you, yeah. you do it most for free. Run, yeah, right? most people go in as a runner for free. But I, I, a lot... I would love to have had that opportunity, but for, for my mum, we said, like, you've got to go, you've got to bring some money in. Like, as soon as I got a job, I had to give a percentage of her towards the rent. Yeah, of course you did. But, I mean, that it was that was just a given, you know? I just had to... Also, I, you're eating all the food, so she's like, yeah. you've got to pay for that food, love. <laughs> yeah, but my friends never had to give any money to, like, cover the bills. I know someone who got money from their dad to be a runner, actually, because they weren't getting paid. So they actually almost got like a wage from their... right, from the parents. Yeah. So, yeah, so it turns out, anyway, we're not surprised by that. It turns out the people senior in that industry that were, they thought it was a meritocracy, that everyone was like rising oh, to the funny. top on the basis of merit. Oh, that's brilliant. And it was just 18% in music, performing arts and visual arts. So yeah, there is some very, very you. strong research in the UK in the arts industry, which is quite interesting. And I think that a firm believer in capturing data, even if it's not perfect, because capturing data forces you to have conversations around that data. So the fact that we have to capture pay gaps, gender pay gaps, means that you're 
shining spotlights on it and you have conversations about it and then you hopefully try and implement solutions exactly and like you said it's a starting point right so you've just got you just show your hands you're like okay look it's not that good but you know what we're putting it out there we're just saying like it's we know it's all good but it's out there now and all we can do is work to improve it there's so much research and evidence that shows that if you have diverse workforces you know women ethnic minorities etc those workforces do better now, interestingly, I was at a panel event talking and bringing the diversity perspective from mothers and why it's really challenging to keep and um, retain mothers in the workforce, etc. for a fizzy drinks brand. And there was someone talking about the working class perspective. And all these people were just really like interested in what he had to say. And he was talking about how, particularly in poor working class communities, the the nan or the gran whatever you want to call it is like yeah. the matriarchal kind of yeah. mother and everything kind of revolves around them yeah, and they're totally. the really I strong the yeah, yeah basically like, exactly yeah. like that yeah and the people were just like oh god this is really interesting and i was, a bit, I was just looking and thinking um yeah like, <laughs> of course and i just realized that there was just no one in this room yeah that came from a working class background now my my auntie it drinks 12 cans of, of coca-cola a day <laughs> and as far as i know all of my to be fair my friends are pretty middle class now like their kids are not drinking any fizzy drinks they're like you know they've got like ella's kitchen you know it's all just like fancy schmancy organic that is so true whereas i've got some people in my family but their kids again coca-cola fanta like they, for breakfast so, 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 yeah so you think that the people at coca-cola maybe they would want some you know of their potential customer base like working there so that they can yeah. help to influence and shape that company right i mean that, that just seems logical to me, but maybe I'm just being crazy. <laughs> uh, and then I also used to work for an innovation consultancy that used to work to innovate public services and particularly services for, again, like those types of communities, poor working class communities. And they used to spend all this money doing ethnographic research and then they would present it. Sometimes we'd have a learning lunch and they'd present this ethnographic research and they'd be like, how much do you spend on that? Like 20 grand i'd be like i could have told you all that you could, you could give me 100 quid i could have told you but it's because everyone there you know oxford ppe all works you know middle class i just thought it was oh, just quite fascinating it just it's just really opened my eyes that in most of the workplaces that i've worked in i've not met very many people that's come from the kind of background that i've come from basically no that is very true i would probably say the same goes for when i was at the ad agency obviously when i was there it wasn't very diverse it's definitely something that they're working on, though. But and I guess they, they're putting together advertising campaigns, again, having diverse voices in the room. Oh, exactly. Imagine if we were in the room when they were talking about bendy buses. We'd have been like, um, but the thing is, though, is that what's stopping people from just getting on at the back and then they're just not going to pay? Exactly. <laughs> like, no one's paying to get on the bendy buses because you don't have to walk past the it's man at the front, it's woman so at the front. I mean, there's a big debate, isn't there, about diversity in, like, the creative advertising space because you know they're coming up with campaigns for people that they don't you know young men coming up with ads for women for mothers yeah it just ma- it just makes sense i mean it, to me it just makes sense for all workplaces but there's some very obvious ones like people coming up with advertising campaigns where you just want diverse voices in the room right um so going back to that uh we, what we talked about do working class people do better at university i suppose we sort of looked at some research around that I also looked to see whether there was any interesting research around the benefits of being working class in the workplace, actually. And there's not loads of stuff, but I did find that I did find this really interesting study that showed CEOs from working class backgrounds and CEOs from upper class posh backgrounds take more strategic risks than people that are middle class. 
Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Do you think we do risk- I feel like you're a bit of a risk taker. You, you feel like a... Do you know what? On one hand, I am. On one hand, I am. But then on the other hand, you know, you know what I'm like. Like, when we're going to the airport, I'm just like, to leave fine. Also, you take no risks when it comes to your dog. You're very risk averse. No, I know. I mean, that's just... So that was just something that was really interesting. And that was in America. It wasn't in this country. But uh, I so, thought that was really interesting. And I, I grew up in a very... The community was quite risk taking, and again, sometimes I make assumptions that everyone does this. But I'm not going to say that just because it's something slightly dodgy about what I'm going to say now. But I was in, a, I was just in a in a baby shower, and someone had said that they'd been burgled, but that they'd accidentally let the back door open. And I said, "Well, why don't you just lock it again and then kick it in and pretend because <laughs> they had insurance." Recently, <laughs> I'm not saying that I would do this, listeners, because that's obviously insurance fraud and it's a white collar crime, and you could go to jail. But it's because where I, like, people did like, not only did they do that where I grew up, but they would also I remember um, this was quite rife actually. We, you would say that you'd been burgled. We hadn't actually been burgled, and you'd pretend that you had loads of stuff, Nick, that you didn't you only <laughs> bought. I know. I mean, everyone was doing that when I was growing up as well. But I mean, we middle class really... people weren't doing that. And I'm again. I'm. This is obviously illegal behaviour, and I'm not yeah. encouraging that. But it's just a but different it mentality. It's a bit sort of ducking and diving, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, a bit like, like skirting on like the wrong exactly side it. of the law. Yeah. It's like ducking. I, I bet I, Alan Sugar was doing that yeah, as well. I do feel like, like um, I, I, like, I'm not a criminal by any means, and I don't have any criminal records. But I definitely feel like sometimes I'm a bit of a criminal mind. Like when I see something, the way like like you know a system or a process. Like I can identify a loophole on how yeah. to get around it, or either how to make it cheaper, or how to avoid paying for it. I can't help it. Like, so it's not like it's not necessarily like I'm going to do it, but I just think, well, you don't have to do it like that, though. If you do X, Y, Z, actually, then you can just like you can get around the back door, and then someone's going to let you in, and then like before you know, it, you're, in the, you're in the VIP club with like Beyonce. Like, this is this is what I meant I when I say like, I consider you to be. A bit of a risk taker like but that. But it's also, I also think that sort of... But she does not do anything illegal. I just, again, would like to. <laughs> but I guess it's also, I think, maybe having to be a bit of a hustler. Maybe you have to hustle a little bit more when when you when you don't have things maybe put on a plate for you or you don't necessarily have, like, this, like, perfect path that's already drawn out for you. You've got to sort of make your own way and probably just hustle a bit. Definitely hustling, I really agree with. My dad was claiming benefits because to be fair to him like he did have a debilitating like lung illness but sometimes he'd be really ill and sometimes he wouldn't he'd be all right but he just couldn't hold down like a job basically so he taught himself how to fix cars and then he would buy cars at the auction and then he would fix them up and then he would sell them on but he was not declaring that money and he was claiming benefits at the same time mm. then I remember he got grassed up by our next door neighbor and he had this like fight with the next door neighbor oh, anyway, no. that, that's a whole other story <laughs> um so I just saw that kind of thing happening yeah. and then also we got broken into by the CO that's like, survival though is it yeah, but like, like, yeah. it's like you don't but, even get that much do you so like what a bit of pocket money for like well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't making car. shed loads of money exactly. this car, you know but it exactly. was just like it was just extra cash that he was making I mean, loads of because it's very difficult to bring up two kids yeah. when, like, you're on benefits, basically. Yeah. So, as far as I was concerned, but that, I mean, that is actually technically illegal. But as far yeah, as I was right. concerned, that was fine. And then the next door neighbor, he was going to France and drive it because he was in the same position, and he was going to. He just couldn't get a job. To be fair, there were no jobs, and he was driving to France and bringing back cigarettes, and then oh. he was like selling them. The and old knockoffs. The old knock. Yeah, exactly. Off the back of a lorry. Off the back of a lorry. <laughs> Um, but he was storing them in my garage. Ah. And then the CID came and like raided our house in the middle of the night. And my mum's like the worst liar. So she was like, they were like, Miss Tyler, we need to speak. And she was like, talk to my husband. I don't know anything about it. Talk to my husband. So I just grew up thinking, 
it's not that bad. What's really going to happen? You're not really going to get like jail. Like, you know, exactly. just like, let's just do the bit of that. What, just what's, like, the, what's the worst? What's, yeah. I, I definitely what's have that attitude. Happen? What is the worst that can happen? Like, like, look, we're not going to kill. We're all going to get like arrested. So let's just let's just try it. Yeah, and let's I do think that we are. We we do like bring that research to life. I think we are risk takers. I wonder if that as well. It, I wonder if that also comes with like you've literally got nothing to lose. <laughs> you know, like you, you know, people go. What have you got to lose? Like, actually, like, we literally have nothing to do. <laughs> oh, you know, is it that? You know, whereas perhaps, like, if you're in a more a position of not power, but perhaps privilege, actually, maybe you do have a lot more to lose. So maybe, actually, you're less likely to take risks, perhaps. Yeah, potentially. Depending on the type of home that you grow up in, I suppose, then you're probably unlikely to have seen your parents doing stuff like that, right? Yeah. So I guess it just, in terms of where, where that think, sort of line is drawn, it's just yeah. a little bit further away, maybe. Yeah, the line's a little bit blurry. The line's a little bit blurry and a little bit further away. Yeah. But one thing um, it has done, though, is that pretty much my whole career, I always would go and work for companies that I felt were addressing some kind of inequality. Because when I went to university, I just thought... Like, why are loads of my male friends in the army? Like, they all could have been at university. My cousin Alan, who spent quite a lot of his time unemployed, has got the most incredible, like, engineering mind. He used to take apart watches and he just would, just as a kid, he would take stuff apart and try and figure out how it works. And I went to visit him the other day and he's kind of working at the moment, but he wasn't working for ages. He built the most incredible bed, put, like, he put this pulley system together and had this bed on the ceiling and you press a button and it just comes down like this poly system like oh wow and you just built it from scratch out of just stuff you know and you just think like why are you not working on the shard but if he had grown up in a different environment he probably would be working on the shard right now yeah but he was told at school that he was probably he he maybe could become an electrician Mm. maybe uh, but he also probably would just work in the factory if he'd been 10 years before he probably would have been told well you're putting it out of the mines because everyone was like you have to go down the mines and work down the mines. Well, yeah, I mean, that was just... That was just That's your just what path, happened, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the path. That is so interesting what you said. I remember someone from... Because interestingly, unlike you, I didn't have that desire to go and work for businesses. Well, you, you wanted all that money to get those swimming pools. No, I did. No, <laughs> Which I also no, totally but, get. No, no, but I did, though. Like, I did. I just like, I wanted to go out and I just wanted to make as much money as possible. And But the funny thing is, is I, like in my 20s, I spent it travelling and just sort of, you know, working in restaurants in LA and, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you want to be an actress? I was like, no, just, I'm just a waitress. I'm just hanging out in LA in Hollywood. <laughs> but anyway, when I got back, I got a job in a bank when I got back from Japan and I got it through um, a friend who worked there, and I had never made, no, I just couldn't believe it, I was just, I literally, I'd hit the, the big time, because it was, I was on the training floor, in oh, this HSBC, absolutely raking it in, and I've never been so bloody miserable in my life, like, my mum thought I'd made it, she was just like that, oh, she's working at HSBC, you know, she was just so proud, and I was like, raking all the money in, Um, you know, I, I had a gamble five, I didn't get home till, seven. I mean, I was literally, it was, it was, but I didn't. I didn't have a problem with the hours. Like I was, you know, I was into. It was only like the job though. Getting to, you know, yeah, it just it just was a really cutthroat environment, and yeah, just you know, I was always motivated by trying to like you know make some money. And actually, after getting that job, that's I realized just, that was not. I really that for me that was when I realized that it was not about money. It was about like doing something that I enjoyed. And then I and then I the next job I moved to was when I started my degree, and like my lifelong learning. You became history. a lifelong learner. Yeah. Exactly. Loves a bit of learning. What we would really like, yeah, so we're really interested. We're both on Twitter. Uh, so we would love people to get in touch with us on Twitter, either via Digital Mums directly or 
myself or Nikki's personal accounts and just let us know your experience of this because we're just quite fascinated. Are we the only ones that very rarely meet anyone that, you know, had dinner tickets and we're the only person who goes to uni and all that kind of stuff? It would it would be really interesting, wouldn't it, to yeah. find out because actually... It and just, be... Or just like, what do people think of this debate? Do they also think this is a bit of a hidden... Like diversity, but it issue. could be that we do know people that were the dinner ticket kids that like lived on, you know, council estate. But maybe we just, maybe we just don't know. Yeah, yeah. maybe we don't know. Maybe yeah. that, maybe it's just not something that people talk about. Just interested in people's thoughts, really. I think about yeah. about this sort of this debate. Yeah, we're you know everyone's talking about diversity. We don't see many people talking about class diversity. So. Do let us know. Do get in touch with us on Twitter. We're probably going to stop talking now because we probably were asleep. You're <laughs> bored with our personal they, they stories. Be they probably called the police. It could be, like, it, it could be my dad's of, actually dead now, so you can't grass him up. Sorry. <laughs> it could be um, one of those podcasts that people put put the Catherine on when you want to go sleep. You know, yeah. kind of like I can't oh, sleep. Yeah, like the shipping forecast. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. like very weird <laughs> words. Exactly. But no, so on a serious note. If yeah, we really love your thoughts. If this has you know sparked any you know thinking for you, get in touch. Yeah, just get in touch with on Twitter. Yeah, and let's like chat. Furthermore, do it. So that part of those. Furthermore, I don't think that's. <laughs> Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. I've been Kevin from Digital Mums and Nikki. Thank you. And this has been the Digital Mums podcast. <laughs>